0: This is the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Welcome back to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I'm Doug Stannard, your host, and we're brought to you by FearlessPresentations.com. This is the podcast that will help you become a more polished and more professional public speaker in the fastest amount of time possible. And it's also a great way for folks who have already received some type of presentation training to really refine their skills and really develop a higher level of skill set in public speaking and presenting and becoming a better communicator. For those of you who are interested in some of our public speaking classes, if you're listening to this about the time that we're recording it, we've got classes coming up in the next couple months in Detroit and New York and Cincinnati and Atlanta, Dallas, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Boston. So just go on to fearlesspresentations.com and check out the schedule of classes and you can register for one of those upcoming classes. So, Doug, what's today's hot topic? So, our hot topic on this session is the top five biggest myths about public speaking fear and stage fright and public speaking, and and really, we'll, we'll explain each one of these and kind of show you how how if you if you don't really buy into these myths, you'll actually be a much 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 better speaker and presenter. So, I, I got one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is it's really it's time to set the record straight. You know, anybody can be a fantastic world-class speaker. As long as that person has a little bit of training, a little bit of coaching, and a little bit of practice. And it doesn't take you know years and years and years of study and practice, and it doesn't take thousands and thousands of dollars of investment. In fact, one of the hardest things to get across a new presenter is the immutable fact that just about everything that you've ever learned about public speaking and creating a good business presentation is just flat-out wrong. The following are going to be some of the biggest myths that we found in in our speaking careers about stage fright and about public speaking training. And like I said, if you if you understand these myths, it makes it a whole lot easier to learn how to speak on your own. So, so let's get started. So, myth number one is that good speakers have a natural talent; they're born speakers. Now, this one always makes me laugh a little because. Nobody comes out of the womb speaking, right? And in fact, for the, for the first couple of years, our entire speech is you know just gaga and goo-goo. So now, granted, if you if you grow up and you actually have a, a nice sounding voice, you might have an advantage in front of a group. Or if you're stunningly good looking, you know you might be able to command attention a little bit better than than the average Joe. But however, most great speakers become great at presenting because they really work at it. You know, here's the real secret that the academics don't tell you, that the Toasting Clubs don't tell you, and that seminars leaders seminar leaders won't tell you. Public speaking is actually an easy skill to master if you practice the right way. However, instead of doing the things to decrease their nervousness, a lot of times what most speakers will do is they work really hard just to try to hide their nervousness. All right? The analogy I like to use here is it's kind of like, let's say you you've got a, a check engine light. On that comes on on your dashboard, and instead of actually going and getting that the the engine checked out, you just go underneath the dashboard and you slip the line to the to the light Well, guess what the light's gonna go off, but the problem's still gonna be there, and so that's why you know if you just kind of ignore it or try to hide your nervousness, a lot of times it just makes it worse. um motivational speaker Brian Tracy wrote an article uh, and the article was about how what he learned from his speaking career and one of the major things that he talked about in this article is that that the major thing that he learned as a professional speaker is that you have to train yourself to be a speaker his advice is to go out and give 300 presentations as hard and as fast as you can now i know what you're thinking because i, it was, I was thinking the same thing and i'm a professional speaker uh, 300 holy crap you know man that's a lot of speeches yeah, know and yeah, but I'm sure that what Brian Tracy would say is exactly. Yeah, if you want to be a good presenter, you really have to practice it. And in fact, that is the one. That's one of the main reasons that a lot of people come to a presentation class, and and why present, presentation classes are so popular. Um, because especially if you get a presentation class where the class size is small, kind of like the fearless presentations classes that we teach, each participant gets to deliver at least eight presentations in just two days. So, I mean, obviously it's not 300, but man, that's a big, that's a big step forward in a very short period of time. That fast pace really helps the presenter establish good habits and experience a series of successes and speeches in, in a really short period of time. So it works really well. Hey, by the way, if you're, if you're wondering where to find places that will allow you to speak, make sure and go back to podcast number 15. How to find venues to practice your speech, and we're going to put that in the podcast notes, so you don't necessarily have to go look for it. So if we just find the podcast notes, it'll, it'll it'll link you to podcast fifteen: How to find venues to practice your speech. Myth number two is um, I'm I personally am just way more nervous than any, and than everybody else who's speaking, and um, and in fact, we talked a lot about this one on the very last podcast. Um, we talked about the, the podcast that's entitled, you know, how to scare the Gooey out of a new presenter, but surveys show that at least 90% of the population admits to having some type of, of public speaking fear or stage fright, and a lot of those surveys also show that over 45% of the population admit that that stage fright that they feel is so great that they avoid opportunities to speak in front of groups. In fact, one of the first things that we share with people when they come, when we do coaching with them as speakers or, or when they come through one of our public speaking classes or presentation seminars is that most of the stuff that happens to us when we get nervous are things that the audience isn't going to see. It's invisible to the audience. For instance, you know, just as we start to speak, we're, we're going to, most of us are going to to feel our heart beating more quickly and more forcefully. So that racing heart is, is it's real, it's there, but it's something that the audience is not going to see. We're going to feel it, but the audience isn't, isn't going to be able to see or, 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 or know that our heart is beating faster, right? Some people are going to get the sweaty palms or feel the butterflies in their stomach. You know, some might even feel lightheaded or even lose their train of thought. But what all these things have in common, though, is that they are things that we feel, so they're real, but they're absolutely transparent to the audience. The audience will never know that you're experiencing these things unless you tell them, right? So the problem that typically occurs, though, is that when we feel these symptoms of nervousness, we sometimes kind of panic. And, and we might even begin to feel even more nervous as a result of feeling that nervousness or feeling those symptoms of nervousness. So what you want to remember is that, that other people who are presenting feel nervousness too. You're not alone. The good news is, is that if you reduce your nervousness, you will have a distinct advantage over the uh, you know about ninety percent of the rest of the population. So, if you can reduce that nervousness and you're not feeling it anymore, heck, you're going to be a much better presenter than most of the other folks who are out there that you that are that are speaking as well. Um, I will give you a good example of this in real life, how this happened, how I experienced this. Um, I got nominated for a marketing award a few years ago, and the organization, the organizer of the meeting thought that, you know, since all of the nominees were supposed supposed to be the best marketers in the room, that the fair way to choose who the winner was going to be would have us all go up on stage one at a time and try to persuade the room to vote for us. <laughs> so when the organizer brought this to me, I you know, I was pretty honored that I was, you know, one of the six that was chosen and it sounded like a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm heck, okay, I'm up for the challenge. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Until the day before the competition, so this was a three-day convention, and uh, the the marketing award or the, the the presentations anyway were on the second day, and then the award was going to be presented on the third day. So, the um, the day before the competition, I I got got to the meeting early, and I'm looking at the agenda, and for the first time, I saw who I was competing against, and some of these were like really big name speakers, and uh, and I was like, holy crap, how am I going to compete with these guys, you know? And as I started, um, as the time got closer, by the way, to my presentation, it, it, it one of the things that really hit me like a ton of bricks was that out of all those guys that are presenting, all those people that were presenting, I was the only one of the nominees who specialized in public speaking fear. So there was leadership and marketing and uh, and uh, um, uh, search engine optimization, all kinds of different things that that these speakers were talking about. But I was the only one that talked about public speaking fear and I was now getting nervous. And so, I knew that if I get up on that stage and I look nervous, my career was over. You know, I mean, this is, there was a lot. I mean, panic really began to set in at that point. I started looking for a way to get out of it without embarrassing myself. And, and I just couldn't think of a way, you know, time was too short. So otherwise I would have, I would have bolted. I didn't didn't want to do this thing anymore. So the moment arrived. I was, I was the third of, of the six presenters and each one of us were sitting at, sitting at this, um, at the front table in the auditorium at the, in the auditorium. Um the first and second speakers, uh, presenters you know there were people that that i'd I'd actually never heard of, but they both got up and they did excellent jobs so so while the second speaker was presenting, I looked over to my right to see what my other nominees thought about the first two speakers, and I was surprised because I was the only one now sitting at the table. The other three guys were were gone and at, at Honestly, at first I was like, "Holy crap! I just got off scot free because I know I can beat these two other two people that are on, that are on stage now." And uh, but I was I started looking around the room and I saw that those other three speakers; these were the really big name speakers that hadn't gone yet. They were actually at uh, different areas of the room um, in the in, in kind of the dark area close to the wall. By the it was like an accordion wall in a big auditorium, and uh, and each one of them had you know f- ten fifteen feet of space that they were practicing their speech in. So I could tell, and all of a sudden this calm kind of came over me because I knew that the reason why they were there practicing their speech is that they were trying to prepare more because they were so nervous. And I hadn't had that urge. I had, you know, even though I was nervous, you know, I knew that I was going to do well. I knew that I was going to present well. And so I, it, all of a sudden that calm just kind of came over me and my confidence came back and, 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 and I did really well, by the way. I, and by the way, sometimes folks will ask me, Hey, did you win the, 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 uh, marketing award? And eh, no, um, I, I didn't, um, I think I, I performed well and I think I, uh, I, I probably showed myself <laughs> pretty well, but like I said, some of these guys were, were people that were really famous and, and just to compete against them was, was, uh, was, I I thought was pretty impressive. But, um, but you know, if I ever get nominated again, I think with that experience under my belt, I think I'll do a whole lot better next time just because I've had some experience with it now. So one of those things that we learned from, um, so the point of all this though, is that, um, the big thing that I learned was that even professional speakers who speak for a living get nervous. And when they, and when that nervousness hit them, the thing that they did to get over it was they just prepared more. Guess what you can do that too. By the way, when each one of those guys got up on stage, there was no way you could tell that they were nervous. Their energy, their enthusiasm their the fun that they were having just kind of came through and guess what it it'll be the same for you as well if you if if you really get those skills at becoming a great presenter, even when you're nervous, you're still going to perform really, really well. So myth three, myth number three, is about constructive criticism because a lot of times critiques, you know, people think that critiques is is one of the best ways to kind of improve. Now, ever since the very first oral report or book report that you that you um, kind of told when you were in high school, or um, or uh, you know the speeches that you gave in. In a university or if you've ever been to a Toastmasters and you, and you had a grammarian, we're taught, we're taught that the best way to, uh, to improve is to get a critique, to find out what we're doing wrong so that we can fix it. However, that particular technique has never actually worked. And it's, it's logical if you think about it. Here's why. The only way to get constructive criticism is to first have a failure. And if you don't have a failure, then the job of the critic is to find something wrong with what you did anyway, right? So anytime we do something for the first time and have a failure, we actually get more nervous the next time that we attempt that thing. So, that is, if we have the courage to do it. So a good coach won't use this technique much. Instead, a good coach will actually show the person how to succeed especially in public speaking, a good coach, a good public speaking coach is going to show the person how to succeed in public speaking. And then once that person does the thing that the coach is instructing him or her to do, he praises the presenter so that the, as the presenter moves closer and closer to the goal that the coach has kind of set for, for that person. So, and by the way, there's more details on this in, in the podcast I was talking about earlier podcast number 29, how to scare the gooey out of a, out of a new presenter, one from, from last week. So make sure, if you haven't got a chance to take a listen to that, make sure and do that. Um, I'll give you an example of this in real life that how, how there's a big difference between being a critic versus being a good coach. So my wife loves to watch cooking shows. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan of cooking shows, but I often experience them in passing as I'm doing something else around the house. And um, one day, uh, you know, one of the things that I've kind of noticed uh, as, I, as I've kind of watched some of these things with my wife is that there's often going to be three judges on one of these cooking shows. And if the dish that the the judges are tasting is a really good dish, then two of those judges will give a compliment to the chef, the person who prepared it. However, no matter how good that dish is, there'll be at least one of those judges that will criticize the dish in some way. So, I mean, I guess that makes for great TV, but my point is is that no matter how well something is done, if you ask someone to be a critic, then he or she will find something wrong. Right? The the old adage is nobody's perfect. Eh, that's, That's really true, you know, since... We know that, that thing that nobody's perfect. We can always find something to criticize. And every time that we do that, we'll actually be knocking down the confidence of that person that we're criticizing. So I'd much rather see on the on the TV shows, I'd much rather see a Gordon Ramsay or one of these, you know, these TV chefs watching the participant as he or she cooks. And then when he sees the person about to make a mistake, go over and offer a piece of advice that will keep that person from failing in the first place that little bit of proactive coaching will be seen by uh, the other participants as well as the people who are watching in the audience. And what will happen is it triggers in our brain, it triggers that, holy crap, okay, if I am ever in that situation and I experience that same thing, I'm going to do that differently now because of that, that coaching. So it draws attention to mistakes that we could make so that we're all learning from, from, uh, from one person that's kind of getting coached. So that's the real big difference between between being a coach and being a critic. Coaches help people succeed while critics wait for the person to fail so that that critic can can then critique the person. So myth number four is video feedback for presentation skills is really valuable. Now, okay, now there is this one is somewhat true. Um, But in a lot of cases, watching yourself on video, especially when you're nervous already, will actually just make you more nervous. Watching yourself um, with a video – watching yourself on video with a coach, by the way, can be very helpful because – you can actually see improvement along the way because that that coach will actually help you look for the things that you're doing well. I mean, you'll nitpick yourself anyway, but if the coach is actually pointing out some things that you're doing well, it will help you grow in those areas. So um, I would just encourage you, if you happen to be trying to use video, uh, if you're going to video yourself and try to coach yourself, yeah, just be very careful with that. That has the high propensity to actually increase nervousness versus decreased nervousness so be very very careful myth number five is that it takes years to become a great speaker you know so public speaking is a skill just like any other skill and that when you practice it and you have have a success you're going to feel more comfortable comfortable and confident about yourself and you're going to get better the next time so the key to becoming a great speaker fast is to have a series of successes quickly so I talked earlier about Toastmasters Toastmasters is a great organization but a lucky speaker might get a chance to to give maybe five speeches in a month. And that's if you have a really small group. So if that's a, if if you if if you are in a much bigger Toastmasters group, you're probably not going to get that many speeches. You might get a chance to do a table topic or an impromptu speech every week, but you're probably not going to get a chance to prepare a speech and 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 kind of grow in that area. So so, in that kind of situation, it might take a, a lot more time than if you go through a class or something like that or get a coach. Um, if you go to a university or a junior college, um, you might get a chance to speak, what, three times in a, in a, a semester? Uh, in, in some classes, you might get a, a little bit more practice than that, but especially if it's a big class, then you're, you may not get as many chances as what you might like. So, uh, and by the way, after in, in the college, university, or junior college, or high school, there's a good chance that after you give each one of those speeches, you're going to get one of those dreaded, constructive criticisms. So you may or may not grow in confidence uh, after going through one of those classes. So um, that way will take a while. And and if you, if you really want to gain presentation skills quickly, find a way to deliver just a minimum of four to six speeches or 46 presentations with a really good coach in a very short period of time. And if you do that, you're likely to... Gain the confidence to be able to go out and do more and more speeches on your own, even without a coach. In fact, that's one of the reasons why um, folks will kind of come to our classes so often. Is that in our in the the in a two-day public speaking class, whether it's ours or or some other public speaking class, if you have a series of successes, your confidence is going to grow. And that's why you know classes are still one of the best ways to actually gain confidence at speaking in front of a group. So now, with all that being said. What would happen if if these myths, you know, if we really accept that any of these myths are true, what would happen if, if we applied them to some other skill set when we're trying to learn it? So let's take, for example, like driving a car. So let's say we're going to teach a, a 15, 16-year-old kid to, to learn how to drive a car. And we use the same ridiculous kind of myth about that particular skill set as well. So we tell the kid. Now, just so you know, good drivers have a natural talent to drive, right? You know, so there are only some people that are actually going to be able to be good drivers and you're just not one. You know, I mean, you may or may not be one of them, right? So if we sent every 16 year old kid out onto the freeway with absolutely no training and a few of them might do well, but most are going to have, you know, crashing failures and the few that do well. Will be seen as natural born drivers, right? The rest of them will be scared spitless of driving for the probably for the rest of their life, right? So now with that, so basically that's the way we did it. We just we didn't do any training. We just kind of sent them out, and so um, so because we know that that uh, some are, people are just born natural drivers, right? So um, when that sixteen year old kid now is, tries to drive again, or or has the the potential opportunity to drive again. What's that kid going to think? God, man, why am I so nervous and everybody else isn't? Because that kid can look out and see everybody else driving, and, and but they don't seem nervous, right? Well, if, if, she's, if he or she is one of the 90% that had a failure on the freeway and they just see other people driving, then they, it would be very easy for them to think that they're the only one that is actually scared of this. So let's go to myth number three, that constructive criticism is the best way to improve this confidence issue now. So... Now you're still one of the 90% who just had a hair raising experience on the freeway. So you sit down in a classroom and one of your peers or or a teacher, you know, basically just rips apart your experience and tells you every little thing that you did wrong. Are you kind of feeling better about yourself now, right? So I mean again, it doesn't make sense. And so let's get let's skip up skip down to myth number four. Videotape feedback or video feedback for driving is valuable. So the best way to kind of learn what you did wrong is let's just watch the fiery crash on video over and over and over again, right? And I wouldn't blame you if you never want to drive again after that. And then myth number five is it, it basically just takes years to become a good driver, which by the way is probably somewhat true. <laughs> you know, I know that I know that uh, you know insurance companies have certainly figured that out, right? But if you've had all of the experience above, right, what we've just talked about. And you only attempted to drive, you know, once every three months or once every six months. And every time you attempted it, you only went for about two minutes at a time. Well, guess what? It's going to take a long time to get better. And sadly, you probably never will. So what do we do with our kids? Instead of, of going through that torture, typically what we do is we get a good coach that you can trust to help you conquer that fear. So just like, you know, when we when we were actually 15 or 16 years old and we took a driver's education class or our mom or dad took us out to to learn to drive, you know, the the technique that that person used back then to coach us was they would give us a little bit of training and then have us practice that with a coach right away so that we didn't forget it and then we didn't move on to the next step until we had a success with the prior step. You know, remember back when you were learning to drive a car, you couldn't leave the school parking lot until you got really good at pulling in and out of parking spaces. Right. That's the technique that works best in public speaking as well. Breaking down public speaking into bite sized pieces, having each person that goes through a a training program or with a coach go through each one of those 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 parts of a presentation and mastering each component part. And by doing that, when the person now is out on his or her own designing presentations, they got a lot of tools to pull from because they have so much that they've that they've actually mastered. So so keep that in mind. A lot of the myths that we've kind of picked up uh, about public speaking is is they're wrong. You know, a lot of the stuff that we've learned about public speaking is wrong. And in fact, If you go through and do some training and do some practice in the right way, you can be a phenomenal speaker in a very, very short period of time. So thanks for listening to the Fearless Presentations podcast. For podcast notes, go to fearlesspresentations.com slash 30. If you haven't already done so, make sure and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.